Welcome one, welcome all, welcome to a special episode of Fan Team Radio. I am your host, Shyam Khan, joined as always by my co-host, Chris Odi Odorizzi. Uh, today, we're also joined by a very special guest, Nadim Abha. Uh, we're going to be breaking down the 2023 U.S. Grand Prix, very close to our hearts and our homes uh, as we were there live we're going to be talking about Hamilton and Leclerc's DQ's impact the fight for P2 and should the FIA change their course of action in these situations. Does Checo have enough in the bag to secure his seat for 2024? We're going to be talking about McLaren and Aston Martin trading places. And has Aston you know, been put in enough of a fiery position to reconsider Lance's seat for 2024? Chris and Nadim, what's up? How's it going, Sam? Nadim, how you doing? Hey, how's it going, fellas? How's it going? Great, great, awesome. Yeah, this was uh, this was my first experience, and I believe Nadim's first experience uh, at Formula One ever. And uh, yeah, I'm just curious uh, how you guys liked it. Did you guys enjoy it, uh, Cheyenne? This is your second Formula One experience. Yeah, the first one was actually in the second year of Coda's existence, and uh, I'll tell you, the crowd was probably a third of the size of what we experienced this past weekend. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I was, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, as you guys know, I, I missed race Sunday uh, for, you know, some personal reasons, uh, injured foot and whatnot. Coda was way more hilly and bumpy and, uh, you know, the general admission tickets were way more. <laughs> There's a lot more walking involved than to be expected uh, attending an event like that. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of mind blowing. Uh, really enjoyed seeing these cars live and personal, I'll just say TV does not do the uh, the perspectives justice and just how fast and uh, loud and, uh, you know, exciting the race can be in person. Oh, I agree. I think uh, that's the biggest takeaway. This is my first one as well. Um, and I've been looking forward to going to one of these for a long, long time. And I think nothing really surprises you. Like just hearing, it's like a turbojet engine that's on the ground flying as fast as possible. And it just rolls down with thunder, especially up that hill. I think that hill, the first turn really makes that rumble just kind of project. Cause it's like a, a, a blow horn, you know? Yep. Yeah. There was a, somebody posted a, uh, a perspective shot from like the crowd on top of that hill and just how steep and tall that actually is. It looks like, you know, the people down on the starting grid are like a mile away and they're up there on this mountain. It was kind of cool sitting there uh, right at the top at turn one we were lucky enough to to get our seats uh, very close to the to the breaking point in turn one uh which i believe was a great spot to watch uh you know the sprint race and where you guys were for the race as well um just because it really gave you that experience of like having them fly up the hill you could hear the cars bouncing and scraping as they're coming up and then having to break and just uh very very uh, great in-person experience to hear and see these cars like at their max full potential. Oh yeah, yeah there's definitely uh, some scraping. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely the one of the more popular turns on track as everyone and their moms got the memo to be there both on sprint <laughs> day and on race day. So we definitely had a lot of uh, excitement around us. A ton of Checo fans uh, showed up and showed support, which was really fun to be around and really got the, you know, the crowd going. 
Uh, one of my favorite parts of uh, seeing not just the F1 race, but the complimentary races in between, you know, uh, you're able to see the the Porsche GT races, uh, the F1 Academy races as well. Sometimes they'll have uh, some of the old rally car or not rally cars, but the old uh, F1 cars come in and do a little bit of a show. So really great spectacle. The great perspective that it puts in uh, on full display is the difference in speed between F1 cars and literally anything else that touches that track. Uh, from our stance, uh, we know we saw the cars coming down the straight and then to turn one, and then it disappeared around the back straight in the chicanes. And by the time it came back around again, it was probably about 30 seconds. But then the Porsche GT cars and, and the F1 Academy cars took a little bit longer to come back around. So to just kind of see the perspective of speed uh hear the sound difference uh it's just all incredibly impressive but all in all a really great experience uh definitely love seeing the austin crowd nice hot two days so we got pretty lucky since the day right after it was uh was fully rainy in austin so we got real lucky uh had a great uh experience with you guys over there so uh let's dig into it guys cool Cool. So let's start up top. Let's start with uh, what's been kind of buzzing. Uh, and Chris, we haven't really talked uh, heavily, poorly about the FIA in a couple of weeks now, so it feels like it's long overdue. But <laughs> Mercedes and Leclerc, uh, I'm sorry, Hamilton and Leclerc both ended up getting disqualified after um, it was come to be known that their floors were uh, shaved off below, I believe, the nine millimeter millimeter mark, uh, which disqualifies them from the race. Um, and the rule accompanying that only uh, allows for the check of four different cars at random. And no matter what happens to those cars, the FIA does not check any more cars. Um, I don't know. This is seems like one of those rules that just should be taken. Uh, back to the drawing board uh it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of rhyme or reason for this especially if 35 percent to 40 percent of your sample size has uh, affected floor as i just don't see why they wouldn't check other drivers uh but i want to get your thoughts on this you guys uh, just just the rule in general what do you make of it do you think it's something that has some credence do you think that it's uh kind of served its purpose and needs to be revised what do you think well, my first question is going to be, uh, is is it indeed random when the people that are selected are your top four? Or I guess what Kirk was in sixth uh, when he crossed the line, but it was what Hamilton, Lando, who else was checked? Uh, Max and then Leclerc. So that seems to be a very unrandom selection of cars. But yeah, this is a this is a, this is a weird one because I didn't know that it was a a small sample size. I assumed like when Vettel was DQ'd for the one liter of fuel uh, sample, not being able to be pulled from the car, that it wasn't, um, that it wasn't all cars checked, that it was just, it was a small sample size. And yeah, when you have two of your four drivers selected being disqualified um, and not only where it was at that, you had Alonzo who was, uh, had to retire for, for floor damage as well. And I think Daniel Ricardo also had damage uh, for it. They had to like pull part off of his car and it was 
there's obviously something wrong with the regulations marrying up with this track. And I definitely think that there should have been some considerations or changes or everyone should have been tested because I don't think that it was, you know, the teams. I think it was sort of the track and the way that they, uh, the way that it interacts with the ground effect cars. Um, because we saw as they were coming up that hill into turn one, them just like bouncing and scraping on the ground over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, and maybe that's a ride height thing, but when half the field is having the issues, then it's, you know, it's the it's the regulators that are having the issue. I don't know, Nadine, what do you think? That's interesting. You know, I was thinking about this and I feel like there's like three sub things, subcategories that happen that I look at this kind of in. One is they're able to put sensors all over these cars. Every, in every nook and cranny, there's a sensor. I'm surprised they don't have one for something like this, you know, to kind of keep track of. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the sample set. If your sample set and if you're randomly picking and 40% of them are essentially not meeting the requirements, that's a substantial percentage. And the, the result of it or the consequence is a disqualification, not like a five, five second penalty or a 10 second penalty, a full out disqualification. So if you think about that, spreading that across the field, imagine how many more cars on a 20 car grid, if you take 40% of them, that's how many should technically be disqualified based upon that statistic. So then you have that, that issue with it. And then the third thing is, especially in this particular race, because there was a sprint race, you had about 18, 19 laps of running on this track at full speed, knowing what the degradation was going to be. I think if the idea is for safety, because I'm guessing this is what this, uh, this piece does, is it bolsters the floor and you don't want it to be too, I guess, wavy or wobbly. I think that kind of defeats the purpose and you want to at least monitor that and give teams the opportunity to fix that and then give them like a five second penalty or a grid penalty for the start of the Grand Prix. So that's kind of the three angles I'm seeing this from. Yeah, I think Nadine makes a good point about does the punishment fit the crime and it, it it doesn't really seem like it a full out you know disqualification for something that could have been a you know a time uh you know penalty it, it it just and and I don't know it just doesn't make sense right I just don't think there's enough justification there to fully disqualify uh, a driver for something that they might have not been even you know it's not even something that they can control or have any you know say over uh toto is on record to go say that you know the, the onus is essentially at the end of the day on the teams to check uh for the deg before they you know go on track or they start from the pit lane but it that just seems like so much is going to be left onto the teams where it should be looked at by the stewards and by the fia before the race starts my other point that uh i was talking to nadim about earlier is the fact that you know this is something that is and we've talked about this before chris on the show is how will this sport fare in the american market 
where gambling and sports gambling is really, you know, a market breaker uh, and, and something that really feeds into all of our major American sports. When you have rules like this and you have random selections where it doesn't really match uh, the kind of, uh, you know, the, the random selection works during like a drug test, right? Like for a league with hundreds of players, on a rolling basis that 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 fits right like you're randomly drug testing and by the nature of that testing you're hoping more players adhere to a code of like honesty and 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 not you know uh, uh you know using substances that are against the that league's rules right but in this instance that doesn't really apply like you should have every team be checked for every single uh, metric of measure that that they want to collect at the end of a race and it's only 20 cars so it's just hard to understand how vegas is going to respond to another you know variable that can be shifted by an entity who doesn't allow full transparency into how this is happening like i completely agree with you chris like what like how do they determine if this is random is this the right course of action for to determine something like this? And if so, do you really think the punishment is 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 justified? You know, the crime is justified by the punishment. Like it just doesn't match up at all. So um, I really, uh, you know, I, I, it's frustrating, especially at the end when the spectators walk away thinking, you know, they had an entire kind of celebration with Lewis going up there, with Leclerc going up there. You know, Nadim and I got to walk the track and kind of be near that. And it was a really special moment. And it gets marred later on when we're kind of just sitting down for 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 dinner and it shows up on on Twitter and on Instagram and, and all these like social media outlets that, you know, you're the driver that that you thought won actually was disqualified and and also i mean i'm i i'm i'm going as far as to guess that uh the landon norris's and the carlos Sainz fans of the world probably weren't as justifiably happy with that kind of a win like i'd much rather my driver win in a race so i can fully celebrate the euphoria of that all as opposed to getting a delayed reaction where they're like, oh, your driver won because someone else got disqualified for an archaic rule. You know, it's just it just kind of takes away the the magic of the moment from from a lot of from all sides, I'd, I'd argue. Yeah, what do talk, you guys think? talk about Logan Sargent winning his first points in F1 by a double DQ. It's like, is that really your first points? Did you earn that? I don't really think so. But, you know. I guess, but they were celebrating it like it was lucky and earned it. But, you know, I guess points are points either way. But you bring up a really good point, Cheyenne. Like, what happens in Vegas when the when the cars cross the checkered flag and you bet on Lewis Hamilton to podium and you go collect your money and then an hour later he gets disqualified? Does Vegas come back for your money or... At what point does Vegas say, you know, we're not paying out bets until three days after the race is over? Or, you know, how are they going to work this kind of thing when um, this seems to be happening more and more often? And in other sports, 
things like this are a rarity. Like, you know, you'll get like the the Astros, you know, stealing signs in the World Series and it gets reviewed or, you know, Flakegate with the Patriots or something like that. But these are things that get like brought up, reviewed and dive deep into this like FIA changing the outcome of races happens multiple times a year and for these inconsequential things and like you know like you said there's only 20 cars on the track and one thing that i if the rules don't change whatsoever if everything stays the way that it is they at least need to do their shit before the podium ceremony they need to class like once people are walking up on the podium unless absolute blatant cheating takes place that needs to be the classification. You should like Carlos Sainz has now had three podiums that he didn't get to stand on the podium for, which is just absurd. But it was like Brazil, uh, I forget I, Brazil 2019, Hungary 2021, and now the US uh, in 2023. It's the third time he stood on the podium uh, without uh, actually getting to stand up there and celebrate. So th- these things are just kind of ridiculous. I think they either need to number one do these tests before the podium or, or number two, change the way that they do this. So that way it can be fair and standardized and we know what's going to happen because. It's also not humiliating. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's embarrassing for everyone involved when this, ha- it's embarrassing for the fans. Like we were celebrating like Lewis Hamilton won, uh, you know, his first P2 in the longest time. And it was such a relieving feeling. And then it just kind of, the winds come from under our sails like like in the middle of that it's just like like what are you what are you playing at here you know is what i'm trying to like what i would try to understand from fia is do you guys really think that this is the right way to conduct any kind of professional sport yeah and i think it's also like misleading to the fan because now you know they came with a new floor and now my question is well, was it the new floor or were they just so low to the ground that they were just, they had an amazing seal to the floor that they could just have this amazing aerodynamic effect? And so I think that you start questioning, well, is this upgrade a good upgrade? Was this really a P2? If they raised the floor a little bit, would there be other issues with that floor and he wouldn't be in P2 otherwise? I feel like it opens up that. But then going back to what you're saying, Chris, I think maybe try to, in the NFL, when when a, a player does something that's outside of the rules, they, they pay a fine or a penalty of some sort, right? That always happens. It's a suspension, something like that. But there's never like a erase of an entire outcome. And I think that's the biggest thing that went wrong here is the erasing of the outcome post, post-race, post-celebration. And they've, they've done this before. I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, Sebastian Vettel in 21, I think he he didn't have enough fuel in his gas tank for a sample, and he was disqualified from second place, which then moved Hamilton to from third place to second place. So they've done this before on other aspects of their rule book. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah, I think that's that's something that Chris had mentioned a little bit earlier. Is is it was the, the Sebastian um, fuel tank sample, and it's just. I really, I, I'm trying to understand where the disconnect is. I think that's where I'm also kind of confused is like the disconnect between, so so. And what I mean by that is 
the FIA is so aggressively and Liberty Media is so aggressively trying to expand into all these markets almost all at once. And it's almost like flooding, uh, you know, picking up Vegas and Miami and 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 it's just pushing so much money into trying to aggressively expand the market. But at the same time, they're not moving on their laurels when it comes to like how the 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 post race should be conducted how pre-race should be conducted how to have a more you know smooth flow between sprint race and the actual race and qualification like these are all foundational like pieces of that that are inherent to the actual sport that needs to be shifted and updated as they're also expanding especially into the american markets like like I don't mean to be reductive here, but I can see something like this playing more in you know markets where 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 gambling isn't as a big deal. But in America, like gambling is not just a, a nice to have for some of these businesses. They're a main they're a major line of revenue for for Vegas for the NFL as a as a as a organization for the NBA as an organization for the MLB as an organization like it, it it's really deep rooted in our economics to to ensure that our sports are absolutely as uh fair and as pristine and each rule has a uh, uh, a justification behind it that's agreed upon by the entire organization like there's a lot that goes into the litigation behind our our sports and you know there are there are court cases behind it as well into like the you know the steroids one going all the way to congress being one of them right like there's a lot that happens in american sports to 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 ensure that um, the integrity of the rules are all are never in question so the payouts that vegas has to do uh, are always like you know keeps the customer coming back for more because you're right chris once vegas are saying like there's going to be a time delay on your payouts because you know f1 doesn't want to change the way that it doles out their their final results then who the hell is going to go back to gamble for that you know what kind of gambler do you know who is okay with delaying their payout well every like, gambler i know will forget that they bet on it because they're wasted when they actually made the bet, but totally that's yeah. true. Yeah, but you know, like, like, like the the idea for for a place like Vegas or like even online, like uh, you know, forums like DraftKings and and you know things like that. It's and FanDuel. It's essentially like you allow a platform for your customers to come in, place money, make money. And immediately come back and use that money again in your business. Like that is the cyclical nature of gambling. And 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 the foundation of that is that the sport is uh is is incredibly fair and they keep a lot of regulations and and and, and monitoring in place to ensure that. Um I don't know, like, you know, do, would you guys bet on an F one race right now? Like what what like and, and if so, how much? I'd bet $10 million on Max winning the WDC every year for, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, here's it's the a... thing. Here's the thing, right? 
right now, I think Max's odds of winning, or if you asked me like several months ago, Max's odds of winning were incredibly high, which means like you're, you're, you have to put in, if you put in 10 million, you might just only win 2 million, you know, like, it's not like you'd win out like a hundred million. Right. Right. So it's, 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 it's like, yeah, his odds are so good, but then bro, what if you did it during Singapore? You know, what if you bet that you're like, all right, he's so good right now. And my, I feel like I'm down to put in 10 million to win 2 million. That'd be, that's still fine for me. That's still a big win. And the risks is seemingly low because he's been on a win streak. And then all of a sudden Carlos signs comes in and, and, uh, uh, and wins, right? Like then what happens, you know, like, so situations like that can, can also be really impactful here but but think about it this way what if that singapore win happened because of some dumb reason like like today where like max got randomly checked and his floor was degraded and then carlos ended up winning because of that then what happens to that vegas odd you know the 10 million you put in you just lost 10 million you yeah. know and and you thought it was a, a sure fire like like what customer is going to come back after you know something like that I'm, I know actually, my, I, I know so yeah, yeah go ahead I was just saying I'm curious you you're the point you brought up earlier about Vegas because I know Vegas has much stricter sporting regulations for just about everything so you know if there's competition of any kind you know UFC poker tournaments whatever it may be happening within you know the the city of Las Vegas the sporting regulating bodies typically have a very strong say so in the way things are run and that's why sometimes the UFC will like hold uh, competitions in Abu Dhabi or in Arizona, depending on uh, the regulations in Vegas markets. So I'm curious if there are if if the Vegas regulatory bodies will have any sort of leverage or say so in the way this race is run or operated or decided upon. Um, I'm I actually I have no idea, but I'm just curious because. This whole season of Formula One, now we've talked about like the Vettel sampling and and all that kind of stuff. So this thing isn't new, but just in general, this whole season feels like when Disney bought Star Wars and just made three movies without a story. Like we've changed the way sprint races happen. We've changed the amount of sprint races. We've changed the way sprint shootouts work. Like in terms of like, you know, we, we went from like normal qualifying to the shootout to like forcing hard medium and soft tires and stuff like that. We've changed so much about the format of the way things run in formula one over the course of one season. It's like, what is the sport of formula one? So I think after this season happens over the winter break, the FAI need to figure out what is the sport and how is it going to be run? And, you know, again, and relook at the way these kind of rules and things are happening in this new world of, you know, being popular in the United States and as well as being more popular globally and try to, uh, Nadim, I think the way you brought it up would be kind of like a good starting point to think about like, Hey, your floor is damaged. You're out of regulation. You get a big fine and like make it steep enough to where you like, don't want to keep doing, uh, you know, those kind of infringements, but don't change the outcome of a race over something that very likely didn't, you know, massively affect the outcome of a race. Uh, yeah, like, know, I, like, 
like penalize them at, and make them eat away at the cost cap, you know? Because then they'll it's, it takes away from their R and D for the for the for the season for what they're gonna do in terms of upgrades, um, and this way they'll be uh, at least more mindful. Somebody will be mindful about what to look out for, right? Hey, if you can charge what max fifty grand for touching a wing, you can charge them. You can charge those fifty grand for <laughs> you know having a scraped up floor, but it, yeah, like, I mean it's a, it sounds like growing pains though. That as, as I think how quickly formula one blew up and now how popular it is i think every coda race for the past five years has been increasing its capacity i think that's the most people i've ever seen on turn one hill that was a lot of people and i think that's just going to keep on happening and as that happens they're just going to go through these growing pains of how do they manage the sport given the eyes that are on it and the businesses and the, you know, the entities that rely on this business. hundred percent. Well, you know, we've kind of, I think we've well established that there, there are issues here. There's problems. Like you said, there's growing pains from the rapid increase of the sport. Uh, but, you know, it's been a long time since we've had to complain about the FAA, but this is a big one, but. Uh, yeah. Let's get- so let's, uh let's take a real quick look before we get too far off uh, uh from, from this specific topic. Let's talk about how Hamilton's disqualification does impact the fight for P2 and, and, and what that scenario kind of looks like. Um, I'll tee it up a bit in terms of, you know, my kind of uh, gripes with uh, Mercedes this this past week. I think they really put Lewis even let's assume that Lewis's floor didn't degrade. If uh, if if everything went smoothly, I think Lewis did have a legitimate chance to keep his P2 position or even fight for P1 if the team's strategy to pit, uh, you know, didn't really go against his uh didn't really go against his best interest. And then also the fact that it was a 3.6 second pit stop to begin with uh, just allowed Verstappen to kind of come back over the top of Lewis and, and just really keep that position and, and that pace uh, alongside Hamilton. Um, you know, the new floor concept was so promising uh, and he had great pace throughout the sprint and, and the race day uh, uh, throughout all, all the laps it's just the the tire management from from Mercedes just seemed suboptimal this week, um, but but again, you know, even if he did complete the P, I guess it would have been even tougher to see a P one get pulled from from Hamilton than it was a P two. So, uh, with that being said, you know, how does this affect kind of how Checo is going to uh, be able to, you know? more or less, you know, have a better shot at retaining his P2 position for the driver's championship. And then, which all signs would then point to him keeping his seat for next year. Do you think that's something that is going to happen? Do you think Hamilton still has enough in the next couple of weeks to to overcome and, and get that P2 position still? Um, right now, it's looking like there's a, a 39 point gap between Sergio and, and Lewis. Do you think that's insurmountable? What What are your thoughts on that guys? Um, I think Sergio, I like the guy and he's a very capable driver. Uh, at least he has been and shown in the past. I feel like he's gotten incredibly lucky um, this year to be where he is. If the other teams, you know, had found this development sooner, I don't think there's probably any shot that he would be in P2. 
and he got very lucky for this Hamilton DQ because I'm a you know pretty close to 100 that Lewis would pass uh, Sergio by the end of the year. Um, given the performance that's been happening, I mean, like Sergio got P4, but if he, you know, if Lewis had finished, he would be P5, and the points gap would have been are pretty close. And I think Lewis and and the McLarens and so on and so forth would continue to outperform him. So, you know, he had Red Bull just had such a gap at the start of the year. Um, but the fact that you know Max is winning the constructors championships on his own without Sergio involved just shows that how lucky Sergio has been uh to still be in this P2 position. And I I think it's not insurmountable, but I don't think that. Lewis at this point can pass him as long as Checo doesn't DNF. Um, but again, I don't know if that means he'll keep his seat or not, but uh, there were the rumors that he's going to announce his retirement in Mexico. Although I don't know if that, uh, if those were just rumors or not, but ultimately I think this is going to be the order for the ending of the year. I think there's a chance. I think there is a chance only because Checo has struggled to qualify in previous races this season. And he has fallen sometimes in Q3 qualifying and not made it to Q2. And so I think if that's the case, in either one of these races, it could be a a really tight, close margin towards the end. Uh, And also there's been a lot of touch and go when Checo is in the middle of the pack trying to work his way up. Um, He's had a lot of fender benders. So yeah. there is a chance that this could be this this could work out if Hamilton's perfect though Hamilton would have to be perfect. Sorry, I was laughing because I was remembering that race. I, I forget what race it was where Sergio just kept expecting people to get out of the way because he's like Red Bull coming through <laughs> and he just smashed into people. So yeah, I'm totally on board with you. I I definitely think that there's a shot and. Um, I think that's the story drive to survive needs for this year. Cause it's been a, a boring competitive year is once again, at the end, you know, end of this year, Lewis right behind Max and P2 saying I'm coming for you next year, buddy. And, you know, potentially getting a, that rinse and repeat of the 2021 battle of the gods. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can get there because, you know, we're going to have a small regulation change and, so if if Mercedes finally has figured out the formula of this car, uh, I would love to see this, you know, fight at the front starting in Bahrain next year. It'd be great. I mean, if the floor is legit, yes, I hundred percent like raise the ride height, keep it legal, and if the floor is doing what is what it did in Coda and does it again, yeah, there's a big big chance that this could this could possibly swing in his way. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's just kind of play the scenario out and and kind of just assume that Checo somehow pulls out his P2 or maintains his P2 position. And based on kind of the rumors of what Helmut Marco has been saying and the inner kind of speakings of, of Red Bull, that if he does not keep his P2 position, that he will lose his job for at Red Bull uh, and that they potentially put in Danny Rick. But uh, Mr. Ricardo came in P15 this week, um, which is very, you know, it's uh, lackluster is one way to put it. Uh, what do you think 
Danny Rick needs to do in order to make a real push for for that D two spot at at Red Bull? Do you think it's still within grasp? He says that you know he's still a bit rusty, but um, and you know, and that and that's understandable. But at what point does does being rusty kind of you know keep you from from even being a a legitimate candidate? I love Danny Rick. I think his time is done. Like, not necessarily in F1. I just don't think he's the guy for Red Bull. It's like, you know, I think Red Bull is potentially in the position that Mercedes was in um, when, you know, they had to get rid of Valtteri and put George in, sort of thinking about the future. And I don't think that Danny Rick is the future. I mean, Max will probably be in that seat through a minimum of his contract through 28 and be dominant in that seat. Um but, you know, Ricardo is just not consistent enough to not only be a good D2 driver, but he's definitely not going to be a D1 driver, especially while Max is there. So uh, I think I think putting someone like Liam in that seat over Danny Rick makes a lot more sense. Someone who's young and consistent and then can take over when Max retires. Um, but I, I, as much as I love Danny Rick, um, I just don't think he has has what it takes now. I think his P15, you know, came from some potential damage in the car. Um, but other than that, I just don't think he's the guy for a Red Bull D2 seat. Uh, but I'd like to see him stay in F1. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nadim, we we talked uh, kind of at length about this uh, on the on the show and who could be potential, you know, who who would be the best potential backup driver uh, or backfill for Sergio if and when he leaves Red Bull, especially with Yuki and Liam kind of showing up. Uh, who who would you put if you if you were to put on your Christian Horner hat? Uh, who would you put into that seat? That's interesting. Given the types of characters Christian Horner likes in his drivers, um, I mean, what I would like to see, and I think would be awesome if Alonso were to be the P two driver. I think that would be a very interesting P1, P2 between the two of them. I think that's how you get a black hole on planet Earth. <laughs> but you can see how Alonzo is like, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got elbows. He'll bring his elbows out. He's got knives on his elbows. He'll make sure he uses them. And I think that will kind of, that'll be an interesting take because he's Alonzo's still really good. And Alonzo still wants to win. He's still got the fight in him to win. And he's got the experience. Just put him in a rocket ship and see what he could do. That'd be a very, very interesting. I would like. To, I would watch that if it was just Red Bull and Red Bull. I mean, honestly, I, I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah, we saw we saw at the beginning of the year that he was in a comparable car, and uh, what made six podiums in a row. Like, I think if he was in that seat, he would be Mister Consistent. Um, the complication arises is if he's anywhere on Max's level, <laughs> do they keep taking each other out of races or, you know, Max getting very frustrated with the fact that he has a competitor alongside, but that would be great for the sport. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking back to the Nico Hamilton days and the just wheel on wheel action through all the chicanes, all. The... Hey, you I mean, can you know that. that... If it means that Red Bull, there's a potential for them to self-destruct. Um, I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs> well, some, let's see. I, uh, I think, 
I think uh, Alonso would like a shot at a championship. I think it was really close to Ferrari. Never really happened for him. Um, walked away from that. And then has kind of been rebuilding the mid-tier teams as he's been going through them. And I think he's going to probably have like one last hurrah and hopefully he gets the opportunity. And if he does, that would be an awesome event to see. Well, I saw both of you drinking many Red Bulls at this event, so you guys are big, <laughs> big secret fans, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I was just yeah. trying to compliment the Red Bull umbrella. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It was a good umbrella. <laughs> expensive drinks, though. Yeah, very expensive. <laughs> um. All right, guys. So let's uh let's let's talk in uh let's talk in terms of uh Aston Martin and uh McLaren. So. Obviously, the, the year started pretty poorly for McLaren with them openly admitting to the fact that they did not meet their performance metrics as, as they, they were hoping to. Uh, but through a lot of um, upgrades and just kind of strides and, and especially the, the stuff that they brought to Baku uh, it, and Oscar Piastri really showing up, uh, they've really put together quite a season here, especially in, in the second half of the season. Whereas, you know, Mike Crack's unit has kind of succumbed to a lot of different kinds of uh, uh, just kind of shitty performance, for a lack of better words. I can't really find a better way to put it, you know, and a lot of that is coming from uh, the owner's son. Uh, this brings into question, you know, what happens now? You know, Aston Martin and qualifying... Uh, posted a P17 and P19 respectively for Fernando and for Lance Stroll. And then in the race, you know, uh, Alonso flat out retired and Stroll was able to get, you know, a P7 uh, in there. That, But that's due to the fact that, you know, five of the cars didn't even finish. Uh, so I'm just trying to understand here, you know, is this flip indicative of... Uh, what 2024 is going to look like throughout or do you guys anticipate that Aston Martin can make something happen for another flip to occur where they're back in the front and if so what would they need to do to make that happen uh Lawrence needs to pull out his pocketbook and probably pay another team to give him their plans because I wonder if like you know they there was that that moment where the Red Bull team brought out the the green flavor and they were all drinking it on the pit wall because the Aston Martin showed up and looked almost identical to the Red Bull last year. And then yeah, they're trolling, trolling big time, big trolling. But you know, I wonder <laughs> if there's something to that. Like, I wonder if like they got some sort of like insider knowledge on how to get their car up to speed at the beginning of the year and then just didn't know what to do with it because like I don't understand how you can be that innovative. And develop such a rocket ship and then just do nothing with it. Maybe they don't understand the car. Maybe they tried something and it didn't work. And they just kept trying to fix that mistake and it kept falling apart. But it definitely seems to be like they don't really know their car anymore and what to do with it. Because they've just been kind of falling down the order. Uh, and they seem to be going nowhere. And we haven't really heard uh, much about it. So I'm just curious. I, I I, I think that these bigger organizations like the you know McLaren and Mercedes, now that they've sort of figured out these regs, uh, I think Aston Martin's in big trouble uh, for the rest of this year and throughout next year in order to compete for podiums consistently. 
I just don't think that they're going to be able to compete with uh, these teams that have these like longevity of championship winning teams and cards and engineers. Uh, and maybe Aston Martin just got a little lucky at the beginning of the year. And I think maybe that time has come to an end. Yeah, that's interesting. Cause I was thinking about that too. Like typically a team throughout a season, you're not supposed to regress. You're supposed to either stay flat or progress. And for them to regress the way they have makes me feel like there's something happening like the back office that we don't know about or not privy to. And that's probably a distraction from what I guess what needs to be accomplished because they were, they were, they were at good pace. I mean, Alonso was top five, at least top, top, top eight for a while. And for that car to just kind of decline the way it has, um, that's very shocking because it's not the engine. So it has to be the aero package and it has to be the upgrades and something to do with those elements. So I, I presume that is what I think S. Martin are dealing with. With McLaren, on the other hand, they've done exactly what a team should do. You struggle, you struggle, you find a way, you find a way, and you regr- uh, you know, you you become what fighting for, I think what they're fighting for third or fourth right now in the championship, the constructors. So that's a good thing. And Zach Brown really needed that because last season, Zach Brown was stressing the hell out. I don't know if you guys saw him, <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, looked, he, did, I mean, he did not look too happy. <laughs> I mean, he, he definitely was on our hot seat quite a few times this uh, earlier this year. And, uh, between a mixture of him and and uh, and, and Norris, and I guess in a sense, McLaren has an entire f- legacy of success that, much like Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari have, where they're able to really codify kind of their processes and just follow it and 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 be able to create novel machines on their own based on concepts from past legacies. Aston Martin, you know, Alpine even uh, or now it's uh yeah, Alpine, you know, Haas, the, these are all teams that have to borrow concepts from these innovators and then iterate on top of that. So they, like you said, Chris, they, they don't fully have an understanding of why something is the way it is. They just know that it works. So to be able to manipulate it in a way that F1 cars and teams need to over the course of a season to get it to where it does fit your performance marks, like that requires you to understand a level deeper than just kind of borrowing the full out base concept from another car. And I think that's where, you know, they're kind of ripping at the seams here is we've tested. I think, they, I think you're right, Chris, I think you're absolutely spot on where they've kind of dug as much as they could out of this shadow of a Red Bull car. Um, and, and they just don't know it well enough to be able to, make these uh upgrades the same way that McLaren has been able to the same way that Mercedes has been able to even Ferrari in in in, in a sense you know and and I think that's just something that it's going to be hard for them to do a complete 360 going into next year 
unless they completely copy the Red Bull car for this year. And for some reason, McLaren uh, doesn't continue updating their car, which I, I, I highly doubt. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you, Chris. I don't think that they're going to be able to kind of come back, claw back, uh, in position for next year. Nadim, it sounds like you're also in agreement. Uh, let me know if if you think any different. Do you think that Aston Martin has a way to come back next year, or do you think they're kind of dead in the water in, in comparison uh, think, to McLaren? I think the only chance is if uh, Checo crashes and they get more uh, snippets of his car underneath. Maybe then that's a Maybe. possibility. <laughs> you guys but, ever uh, think? Yeah. Do you guys ever think that if Checo were to somewhat, you know, if he were to lose his seat this year and Aston Martin picked him up as the D2 driver for next year, that that might be a good fit uh, and that might make them a more competitive package? That would be interesting because Checo has experience and um, Lonzo has experience as well. And so getting them two together to build a car which I think they're fully capable of doing because Lonzo comes from like an old school mentality, right? He's been racing for what, almost uh, two decades. Yeah, pretty so much think, my whole life. Yeah. And I think, you know, back in those days, they had a lot of input in how the car was built, um, the mechanics of the car, uh, the feel of the car, um, things like that. I think now it's some, some drivers treat it like a check-in, check-out kind of clock in clock out kind of thing others actually put in the effort like you see lewis does and obviously um max uh, but yeah i think alonzo and uh checo together might be a, a very unique combination that could put some put, put some work on the rest of the teams full circle right back to uh, force india baby yeah <laughs> so yeah uh back to what you said about the car like the aero package is so insane. If you've ever seen like the vortices like flowing off the wings, uh, like the the air will flow off the front wing and go specifically around the corner designed to go to the through the car, then to the to the rear wing. And if you change any bit of that, uh, it's a cascading effect. And so, yeah, I. I think it's going to take a lot of work for Aston Martin to to get their car back up to speed, unless you said they copy the Red Bull. But um, it would be good to see Checo in that seat as well. Um, it, it would be good shakeup because that would mean Stroll is out, and I think we all kind of want that. <laughs> so, but yeah. it's interesting. Like um, at the end of uh, Formula One, once the season's over, the lower you are on the on your positioning the more time you get uh, with the wind tunnel testing. So I think if they use that time wisely, they could fix this problem and turn it around. Because you're going to get that time that second, third, and fourth place didn't get, but you're going to get it because you're way down um, the grid places um, in terms of the Constructors' Championship. Yeah, and I think that's where that's where when I mentioned, you know, the, the basic... I don't want to say lack of understanding of the concept of the car that they're borrowing from Red Bull that they might have they might have been able to understand that by now. It doesn't seem like so because they're they're actually did, you know, it seems like they're taking steps back in performance. But, you know, once they get into that wind tunnel, like it is crucial that 
they understand the concept of that Red Bull to its core, not just at a surface level and understand that it's a good thing to build on top of and iterate that, but they need to understand like, why are the nook and crannies the way that they are? Why is that floor so complex looking, you know, like why is it that, you know, it's kind of built more for a driver like Max than it is a Checo, you know, and, 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 and can they kind of get their drivers to fit that mold or is it just going to be something like fitting a square peg into a circle? So these are all things that, even if they are, they do have more test time in, in you know, in, in the wind tunnel, like, will they be able to make the best use of it uh, without knowing, you know, and, and I think that only happens when you build your car from literally the ground up. And I feel like they've probably built it from the first, three steps up you know um so so that's that's kind of where my concerns are for them is like even if they come pretty low in the standings i think they're gonna probably end up finishing exactly where they were last year which is still not you know still it's a disappointment uh like will that wind tunnel time be able to i honestly deem and, and correct and and, and disagree with me if you guys feel you know I'm, I'm i'm off par here but i feel like williams would probably be able to do a lot more with their uh uh um with Alex Albon and their uh wind tunnel time than Aston Martin would like would you guys agree or would you disagree with that I would agree I mean um and I think the the reason being is they have two drivers that actually care I don't know where Lance sits in in his whole mojo with Aston it's like he's got a love hate relationship with the car and driving it he doesn't seem happy about it so but he's in it and he, he can't go anywhere else so i wonder if this like misery loves company combination is what's bringing the ability to pr progress this car and uh actually do something with it which i think williams doesn't have that problem yeah i don't think Lance probably puts a whole lot of you know extracurricular time into car development other things he's probably you know busy with some ladies or his friends off track doing whatever billionaire sons do but um back to the point about the other teams and being able to take advantage i'd like to do a really deep dive on this sometime and really figure it out because i have a feeling there's a lot of shenanigans going with the cost caps and wind tunnel time with these big organizations there has to be like right like red bull going over the cost cap with catering budget quote air quotes. And yeah, it's just like, I have to figure out how these regulations are. I don't know if either of you know how they're actually enforced, but you know, for instance, like what if Toto has a buddy who sells him carbon fiber for pennies on the dollar? Like, Oh yeah. Like through like a shell company or whatnot. Again, I don't <laughs> know how all this works, but I assume that these big players know their way around the regulations a little bit to get extra time for their cars. But in theory, if everything is, you know, regulated officially, I agree with you. I think I think Williams, with James Vowell's behind uh, at the head, um, will be able to to make a substantial leap forward for next year. Oh, come on, Chris. You know they do a random sample set. Random, completely random. <laughs> this is we're gonna do a we're gonna do a selection at the airport here. It's totally random. 
you know like uh -huh. i'd like I'd, li i'd like to see your finances yeah <laughs> see if you're over the cost gap yeah, or is your w2 <laughs> uh i mean yeah. i just i just feel like they're just gonna keep on doing arbitrary rules uh as an organization and really slowly ink you know inch their way closer to parity once the I really honestly believe that Vegas is going to be the thing that pressures them into being a more fair sport and a more standardized sport and something that uh, I think along with that is going to come an aggressive change in leadership across the FIA. But that's just kind of me speculating, kind of knowing how the American market uh, reacts to, to, prof to professional sports. Um, but let's let's wrap it up here, guys. So so let's let's talk about our winners, losers, and hot seat uh for for this week. So, uh, Chris and Nadim, who do you guys have for your winners this week? Yeah, I, I think we're all probably going to be pretty on par across the spectrum here. But I think you know, uh, Norris uh, and Signs, uh, you know, both had a great showing. Like obviously, like Oz, we'll get to Oscar in a minute, but he didn't have a chance to show the McLaren due to his contact, but I think, you know, Norris's consistent podium finishes as well as, uh, you know, both him and uh, Lewis showing that they potentially have pace to not only keep up, but potentially beat the Red Bull uh, in, in the right conditions. Um, I think there's a lot to take from that. And, you know, Norris should be uh, at least getting closer to that first win. Yeah, I feel the same. Yeah. Um, Norris and Sainz. Um, I'm glad that Sergeant got his first point. Um, I feel like he won. Um, sometimes luck just helps. <laughs> but yeah. uh, Norris, Norris and Sainz, you know, and hopefully that point that Sergeant gets will drive him to, I guess, try and stick in there and see how things go. Sometimes you just need a little bit of nudge and you never know where things come out. But Norris and Sainz are clear. They're definitely taking the lead and they've especially the latter half of the season they've they've kicked it into a new gear yeah well now sergeant has to pay two thousand dollars right <laughs> yeah is, isn't that <laughs> what they sure. i think it's like something like two thousand dollars per point score that you have to pay which is the again super, super another license, ridiculous right? yeah. rule in the yeah. <laughs> yeah i that <laughs> fucking makes no sense uh i also got i also got norris and signs i mean talk about just being in the right place at the right time so if you're a fan of norris or signs congratulations i guess uh i hope you feel like you were able to celebrate uh you know enough uh i feel sorry for that you guys weren't able to celebrate during park Ferme. um i feel sorry for the fact that i did and look like an idiot afterwards um those are gonna be my winners i'm not gonna put logan up there i don't think he deserved it um he got a point that's great um it's just it's just it's i i, I think it's a consequence of 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 this ar arbitrary rule and 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 the the punishment not fitting the 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 crime so that's a that's that's probably gonna be my saddest winner circle of all time Uh, let's talk about losers. I'll be more appropriately um, uh, toned for this one. So I'll kick it off. Uh, my losers for this week, uh, Charles Leclerc, uh, you know, again, just 
saddest man on the on the grid going from p1 to absolutely nothing uh it's tough to watch that uh lewis hamilton you know just again just gut-wrenching to see him finally do so well see that car have such good pace and then him really you know kind of putting it to max for as as long as he could uh to you know only to to kind of just have a, a disqualification uh fernando alonso tough just week in general for for the guy uh verily i i i would say that it's um uncommon this year but you know like we just mentioned it has been trending downwards uh since uh we came back from from the break for for Aston Martin and specifically for for Fernando Alonso it almost seems as if the anchor of Lance Stroll is is bringing Alonso down and his tone has shifted almost 180 since the start of the year uh and Esteban Ocon I think he holds the records for the most DQs and uh DNFs in um in Formula One history. So um, I guess congrats to that, Esteban. Who do you guys got for your losers? Well, let's uh, let's make sure to give Ocon a five-second penalty for the next race for that award because <laughs> I think <laughs> there's that meme where no matter what happens, five-second penalty to Ocon. So, but yeah, no, <laughs> Leclerc as well. Like um, uh, not only going from P1 to not finishing, but even if he crossed the line P6, like that's still a horrible result to go from pole to P6 without any like major specific reason why that happens other than just Ferrari strategy and whatever else is going on behind the scenes. I mean, they're constantly on team radio having issues. And, you know, I think there was a time where he had to let Carlos by. I can't remember if it was in the sprint race or the race, but he's like, he's always confused. He's like, why do I have to do this? And like, you know, they should either understand their organization by now or like there's just something not right. And to to take someone of Charles's caliber and go from P1 to P6, uh, it's just it's not great. And then I have Hamilton. Oh, wait, wait, one one sec, Chris. So yep. as you were just saying that um, our buddy Max Grosswell, who's now at WME, just posted that Charles Leclerc uh, recently signed to WME. So. Just wanted to throw that out there as uh you know as two CAA guys uh that's actually not always the best thing to see but 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 that's just what happened. I read that uh right before we hopped on uh for this podcast and I was like oh so he's gonna, he's venturing into Hollywood because his four B one career doesn't not panning out but you know he's a good looking guy and he's got some money now so sure let's see him in the and he was also like the he had a best selling song on itunes like he was on the top of the charts of itunes for a couple of weeks there he records his own piano music which is surprisingly very well he's very talented at it so guy's gonna be all over the spectrum but uh yeah excited to see what he can do in there but yeah hamilton on there as well for obvious reasons i think the one takeaway out of the losers bracket for hamilton is that he finally has a car under him that he can throw around the track and compete with while he is in the losers column today. I think that there are going to be many future winner column for, for Hamilton. And then obviously Oscar, just because again, same reasons he's in the car. Now he's fast. He's talented. We've talked about him ad nauseum at this point. Uh, it's just unfortunate that their car uh, died from a little bit of a contact. Yeah, I have uh Leclerc as well. I mean, he, Poor guy. 
just blames himself too much. I feel bad for him. Sometimes he's got to find a way to move forward. But hey, Hollywood is it, right? So we'll see how that goes. Yep. Um, Hamilton, like same thing, situation with the floor. I think that's just unfortunate. I think the biggest one for me was Piastri because Piastri and um, Norris have been going at it uh, for, for the past couple of races. And I was really looking forward to seeing that and seeing Piastri see if he can pace up on Norris and catch up. And probably just one pit stop would have changed that. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest one because that was that would have been an interesting challenge to see. I've definitely seen a fire under Norris's ass ever since uh, Oscar was putting it to him and finishing ahead of him a couple of races. You saw Norris was not happy about the fact that Oscar won that sprint race before he's won anything. And uh, Norris has been a little bit faster in pace recently. And I think maybe he's finally got that competition and that drive to push him. So I was very much looking forward to that battle as well. And I'm curious who's going to come out on top, especially uh, on a clean slate next year. Yeah, yeah, that, that'd be awesome too, to see. Hot seat, man. Uh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and just, you know, I think we're all on the same page here with the with Aston Martin and, you know, specifically because we talked a lot about how they just don't understand their car. And I think they're in, they're, they're in big trouble if they don't make a change up. Not only do they have, they have two big issues here. They need to change their car and they need to change their driver pairing. And uh, both of those things need to be done quickly. Otherwise, I think they're in uh, deep trouble for next year. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I, I don't have any much more to say about Aston Martin, so I'm just going to talk shit about Haas. I mean, come on, <laughs> like, what? Why? Why are they like a thing? You know, and 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 I, I've said this before, and I haven't had a chance to say it a lot, so I'm just going to use the momentum of complaining about the FIA to lead into complaining about Haas. I mean, again, it, it's just they they don't have any forward progression. There is some, you know, semblance of them, you know, or sparks during qualifying, especially with Hulkenberg this past year. They've taken incredibly significant steps back. I think this is actually their biggest upgrade in a long time, too, which is the saddest part of it all. It's just, you know, they, they, they end up with Magnuson, um and and uh, uh and Hulkenberg outside of the points it's just just not something that i would put my money into the same way that gene is doing right now uh it has me thinking that he might be washing money uh because who who runs an organization like this and puts their money into it the way that he's been doing and how is gunther steiner still keeping his job um, a lot of different questions going on for Haas. I think they're a front for something else. Um, and, and I don't know why they aren't investigating Haas more. Investigate Haas. If it's, if it's, if it's not shenanigans, it's definitely just a billboard for, uh, you know, for it's a front, the it's a front, it's a front, it's a front for like, like some Eastern European, like, like, like no, that's a good point. I mean, the whole point of the cost cap is to help teams like Haas so that it's an equal playing field. And if there's no progression at all, then I'm not really sure what's going on on Haas's end. Because if you're at the bottom, you're getting the most time in the wind tunnel. You're getting the most of everything um, in terms of the breaks. And you also have the cost cap in your favor now. So 
there's no runaway cost in Formula One anymore. So that's an interesting one. Um, Aston Martin, I feel the same way as you guys. I have specifically for me, it's Stroll at Aston Martin. I think the talent gap in their drivers is just, the margin is too too big to ignore anymore. Um, and it's it's showing up in multiple different ways. And I think a, a better driver, even a, a medium driver would do a lot better for uh, Aston Martin than Stroll will right now. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Or uh, I, I have Alex Albon still earmarked for, as a great driver to be considered for that D2 spot at Aston Martin, you know, a British driver, British company, uh, someone that is a company man and can really and does give two shits to be able to, you know, offer some insight into developing that car uh, again, you know, if Perez uh, somehow loses his seat for uh, Red Bull, uh, that would be an incredible get for, for Aston Martin as well. I think Checo has a lot of drive still left in him. I think he just needs to be under the right kind of tutelage and the right scenario to be able to do it. I think partnered up with another Spanish driver like Fernando. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, at least perceived uh, symbiotic relationship right there that, that they can, you know, really uh, help each other out, hopefully. So there's a lot that can be done there, but yeah, I agree with you, Nadim. I think it all kind of boils down to Lance Stroll getting, you know, out of that, of that seat. The day that that happens, I am gonna publish a podcast on my own, uh, titled <laughs> the, the the last days of Lance. Um, and it'll 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 be a limited twelve episode series where you know I dig into Lance's career and his boyhood. And uh, his manhood as well, you know, and we'll I'll chronicle all of that for you guys. So um, I'm I'm looking forward to that day, and when that happens, the world will know. And don't uh, forget so about Chris, his future Wimbledon career. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll chronicle that too. That and his fencing career, all, all will be happening. You um, should title it. You should title it, Sir Lance or not. <laughs> <laughs> that that was the that's the line of the podcast there. <laughs> Oh my God! All right, Chris, let's uh, let's take us off track. What do you got? Yeah, since uh, since we're at the USGP, uh, let's talk about one one last topic based in the US. Uh, uh, you know, the Associated Press came out and said that three different people with direct knowledge of the conversations that happened confirmed that the FIA has asked General Motors if they'd be willing to partner with someone other than Andretti. And I also read another little snippet saying that. The FI, the F1 team bosses came out and said that it may seem like this is like a manhunt against Andretti, but it's not. It's you know, it's just, it's just business or whatever. Like, but I'm curious. It seems like everybody's trying to find a reason why Andretti should not be in the sport or allowed on the grid, and they're having a difficulty finding a legitimate reason as to why not, and they're pulling in every string that they can. Um, and it just doesn't seem to be working. But I'm curious, um, from both of your perspectives, do you think at the end of the day, we will see Andretti on the grid? I mean, I think we'll see them on the grid if we see fucking Haas on the grid. I don't see why we won't see Andretti on the grid. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, I think there is a possibility. Do they like, I guess my question is, are they, they're bringing in two new, right? So Audi and Andretti at the same time? 
Well, well Audi, 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 yeah, they would take over um, uh, uh, Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo, yeah, they'll take over Alfa Romeo. I see. That's interesting to have an odd number on the grid. I wonder if they're looking to even it out. I mean, maybe they're just buying their time to find the next person who'll be the new Haas. I mean, the the from what we understand in with the uh, you know behind the scenes or in between the lines is that the team bosses. Listen, there's a, there's a, a finite price pool available in Formula One, and the although that number can change from year to year, but the the team bosses, the total Wolfs and the Christian Horners and the you know, the helmet Marcos of the of the world don't want that price pool to be shrunk per you know on a percentage basis. So what they did was they created this Concord agreement where they where they signed an agreement and said this is the rules and regulations in which a team needs to follow to join in Formula One. And then they slapped a $200 million price tag on an entry fee for any team who wants to join in Formula One for two reasons. Number one, that that pays the, that that goes directly to the teams. And so it helps pay that, the prize pool shrinkage to the teams. It gives them time to adjust to, to it over the years. But also they made it so high assuming nobody would ever fucking pay it. And then Andretti comes in and says, yeah, that's fine. We'll pay it. And uh, they're <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're basically doing everything they can to go back on their word for an agreement that they signed two years ago, I think it was. And so it's like they basically said, yeah, we agree that we'll, we can have as many teams are as willing to follow these rules. And the team said, I follow the rules. And they said, no, well, wait a minute. So um it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out but um i i want to see more cars on the grid grid just number one i want to see ter- more tournament pileups but i just want to see more uh incentive for competitiveness yeah likewise i would like to see that as well but i mean it wouldn't be the first time that f1 has changed the track so yep. yeah well, i mean i again i i feel like there are teams that are not even trying to compete uh to to even get better uh and honestly i would put alfa romeo in the same camp at least they're conceding their spot to audi you know and giving another uh reputable manufacturer a chance to come in and really kind of show what they got and 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 in doing so hopefully elevating the sport altogether and really getting a you know a venerable logo in there, uh, it just goes back to kind of say that that you need to find the best teams for the job, um, and and even if that means that they're not the most popular uh, personas on the grid, uh, you just need to, you know what does the FIA want to really do here? Why are they expanding at all? Because if they're not trying to you know make the sport go. Uh, not just go global and and go western but stay you know in, in that market they're going to need to do something about the the playing field that they have right now and and get it to a point where every single team has the ability to to fight for for a championship um you know any given point so i think andrea is the right direction to go and and having them on the grid uh would be uh I think a plus for F F one, 
even if they don't do that great the first year or two, at least it's new blood in, you know, in the, in the waters and uh, actual American team that, you know, Americans can get behind. Um, so yeah, and, and they're definitely going to want an American driver as well, which I think we're long due to have uh, a couple of American drivers, you know, in the pool, as opposed to just kind of relying on one to have a lot of success, which I think, you know, Lo Logan, as, as much as I kind of like, uh, make fun of him i i, I do think he's in a really difficult position as being a, the only rookie american driver uh and having to shoulder kind of that expectation um you know maybe if that was kind of dispersed across a couple of different american drivers it wouldn't be as critical um so yeah i, I think andretti coming in is is a, is a good move for the sport uh even if they don't see it themselves that way yeah they, they yeah, definitely should oh go ahead yeah, I was going to say, it's interesting you said that because going back to what Chris said, the buy-in is $200 million. And I think the reason they made it so high is because they want to attract the brands that have that pedigree because they know that the fan base is going to come along with it so they don't have to market for that, you know? And sure. as, a, as a result, from a business standpoint, that's a smarter decision than an Andretti. Like, would you do Porsche, BMW, or Andretti? And if you can only pick two right yeah but then you know then you have bmw who had their go at at f1 and 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 crashed and burned terribly um and porsche you know they uh, they've gone on record to say that they want to stay in their own lane um no no pun intended right they want to do the gt series they want to do le mans uh porsche is uh kind of more uh, they want to be known for their the fact that they can be driven for really long distances and kind of have long term performance as opposed to like really fast you know cars that could go around you know uh, and not be a stock car series right like if they want it to be Porsche they want every single car on that grid to be Porsche right so they're doing racing for I guess an a very different kind of reason right uh similar to how mitsubishi kind of stays in like the rally car space and and, and toyota kind of specializes in that space uh, i think it's 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 a it's a hard sell to bring porsche or uh bmw into it which is why i think they are having to go to companies like like andretti who have had like a you know a, a pretty reputable uh a uh, bit of racing history in America and in in, in indie racing, uh, they they seem like a a good niche fit that is wealthy enough to to kind of pay that two hundred million dollar uh, entry fee. I think they're considering raising it to seven hundred million, right, Chris? Uh, or have they already done that to to account for the inflation of like these the uh, or the valuations of of f1 teams now uh i hadn't heard that but i wouldn't be surprised if uh seeing a team come in and willing to pay it that they're not doubling tripling it to try to prevent anybody from from ever doing <laughs> it again but um yeah um, i think they're gonna try to raise the barrier of entry and and i and i and i understand where they're coming from it's just that they sh if they really wanted to keep andretti out they should they would have evaluate it or revisited the concord agreement and raised that or amended that 200 million dollar uh, buy-in to to be more accurately depicted of you know what the valuations of these teams are now 
but it all kind of happened. I mean, I think Andretti's kind of getting in at, at like the best time uh, possible. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious to see it. I think they have cool looking merch. I'd love to buy that and, and wear it. Uh, um, so, so that's kind of where my head's at. Yeah. Just, uh, I want to see them on the grid and I think it'll make next year even more interesting um, if they do, because a lot of driver contracts are up in 2024. And I think, uh silly season is going to be great next year and so if oh, yeah. for the 2025 season there's another team to look forward to going to uh we could see a massive driver shakeup uh at the end of next year yeah well yeah. uh i mean well it's all nebulous until it's not right so uh, just like a lot of things in uh, f1 one day we're just kind of waiting around to see what happens and the next day it'll be you know breaking news andretti is now an f1 team you know so when that day comes we'll definitely have an entire episode dedicated to it yeah well we're uh for up until then we're in we're in mexico nick this weekend right i think yeah yeah we're going to we are not going to be going to mexico this weekend but we will be watching uh from from texas uh we, uh, what's we'll be there in, in spirit with our our turn one horde of fans uh Checo fans <laughs> so, yeah, yeah i felt I, yeah. Fe- I felt like i visited mexico this weekend so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, we're sitting there in silence for half a lap and all of a sudden Checo, Checo, Checo. i mean the, the chants were amazing it was yeah. just that was that was just the best part i wish i knew what the chants were you know, but uh, that was the best part was just hearing them chant Checo the whole time. I, even even though it was Max that sometimes flew by, they're like Checo. Checo. <laughs> I'm like, no, yeah. that's Max. <laughs> I, I know the answer is probably no, but it it'd be really cool to know if the drivers could could hear that in any way, shape, or form. But I'm sure the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, it was actually delightful to see uh, every time Max passed by, uh, the only reason that the f- crowd cheered was because they mistaken him for Checo. And every time Checo came by, the crowd just erupted. It just goes to show, like, you know, if if if, if Red Bull really did uh, care about Daniel Ricciardo's marketing, you know, leverage... They could get pretty much the damn same out of the the kind of following that Checo has. Checo has a huge following, and he has fan a fan base that's much more, you know, loving of him than 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 I feel like Verstappen fans are are of Max, uh, and they're more outwardly appreciative of of him as a driver. So I feel like there's still a marketing uh ability with Checo uh, for whatever team he goes to, you know, I think he has a built-in traveling circus of fans that are, are incredibly dedicated to him. So I, I think that was something else that that was in full display this past weekend was to see exactly Checo's fandom and, and how, how they do kind of galvanize behind him in a way that, that they wouldn't with, with, uh, with Max. Well, you have to have your team's boss's boss not be uh, a closet semi not closet racist in order to to capitalize on. <laughs> so. His name is Helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but you know, I get it. Check, like you said, Checo's got a huge fan base, but um, 
Do you think do you think he'll end up on the podium next week in Mexico in front of his own crowd? Do you think he'll announce his retirement or do you think um yeah, I mean, I guess th- this is a good t- time to talk about predictions for next week. So, I I actually don't have uh Checo on the the podium. I I'd love to. I think he's going to be in the top 5, but I I'm going to have, you know, Max Verstappen in in the in P1. Uh I don't see why he wouldn't be. Uh, I think just by the 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 sheer pace and and the new floor that uh, Hamilton had uh I'll I'll put him in P2 I think he has a uh, you know I think you know Lewis always has a way to turn a negative in the previous week into a positive the week after just like he did this week right the week before he crashed out uh just had a terrible race and then came back this week and really put pedal to the metal and made the most of that upgrade and, and was able to fight for a P2 position, which, you know, unfortunately he eventually lost. So I think next week he'll be back Mexico. He does pretty well in, and I'll top it off with Oscar Piastri, uh, you know, again, just, he has the pace. He's, he's so close. Um, I think that uh, Mexico would serve McLaren well as uh, as well. So yeah, Verstappen, Hamilton, and Piastri are going to be my top three. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll follow suit um, for the first two. I think you know, at this point, you can't put Max anywhere other than P one. I mean, if he, I think I saw a stat that said if he uh, <clears throat> finishes. The rest of the season without his car breaking down would be the first time in Formula One that someone's done the entire season without any mechanical issues, which is kind of mind boggling for the reliability, especially after like the early part of last year. We saw the Red Bull DNF twice for mechanical issues. Uh, it's kind of shocking with it, with all these sprint races and all the wear and tear that goes on to these engines that they have haven't had any issues. Uh, but you know, grats to them and Adrian Newey, but yeah, Max number one. And I definitely want to see Hamilton back on the podium. He deserved it. He deserved a potential win. And I want to see that fight get back there. So I want to see Hamilton back up there. And I think Norris, um, is going to continue his string of podiums and potentially be on there, uh, for the rest of the year. Yeah. Just following again. I think, uh, for me, it's for Stappen. I mean, I don't know even if the brakes fell in that car, it's still it's still first place. I don't know how what you could do. You'd have to literally cut it in half, and then maybe he'll just ride on two wheels to first place. Um, so that car is just a rocket ship. It's going to be interesting. And you mentioned um, they're going to be switching from Honda to Ford. What Ford's going to do once they come into play, and whether or not they'll still have the same success. So I'm curious about that. Um, Hamilton, I think. That floor is everything and all that it is as an upgrade, and it's going to be something to watch for. Um, and I'm hoping they get the right height right this time. <laughs> yeah, you know, Hamilton gets uh, a second, if not a first, or a fight for it. And then Piastri, I think it was just bad luck for him this time around um, with his radiator. I think his radiator went out uh, when Ocon yeah, hit yeah. him. Yeah. 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 And I feel like Piastri has more to show than Norris. And as a result, I think we talked about this earlier, Norris is feeling the the push from Piastri and it's going to continue to happen. And I think this is going to decide how McLaren deals with who's number one and who's number two. Um, 
so that it's not an awkward situation when it comes to um, decision making for next year. Yeah, I think uh, McLaren is uh, they're in a they're in a good kind of a pickle. Uh, they have two really good drivers. They have a good car between beneath them. Uh, we'll have to tune in, I guess, uh, next season to figure out who is going to be the D one driver there. Assuming that Piastri is going to keep you know growing and 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 kind of take over uh, that that team in a sense, uh, kind of being ahead of schedule right uh probably ahead of everyone's uh assumed schedule for him to take over that team so a lot of excitement for mclaren um there's a lot to also discover uh in terms of who's going to be the d1 for um for mercedes leading into 2025 uh, i'm assuming that you know they're going to try to get behind lewis and get him one more championship before he retires um and then you know just in terms of red bull Max has already won this season. He's not going to, you know, let that be a reason to give up any wins to someone else. Uh, but at the same time, Checo is going to be, you know, still fighting for a seat, even though he has a little bit of a cushion with uh, the Hamilton disqualification. But all, uh, you know, as exciting of a way to end the season as you can, given the circumstances with Max already kind of clinching everything, um, I think it's going to be a good rest of the year. Uh, we're going to be in Mexico, then uh, I believe Brazil after that, right, Chris? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Mexico, Brazil, and then I forget what the last before. Oh, Abu then it'll, Vegas. yeah, it'll, it'll be Vegas, Vegas. Vegas yeah. and Abu Dhabi. Oh, Vegas. Yeah. Totally Vegas and Abu Dhabi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so th- it'll be yeah, it's gonna be an exciting next couple of races. So I'm pretty stoked. Um, uh, you know, Nadim, thanks for joining us. I think we had a really great uh, you know, conversation, and and it was really fun to kind of hear your perspective, uh, on 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 the race, but also just kind of how you you think about these other teams and and their cultures as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys for inviting me. What a fun race. I mean. For anyone that hasn't done a Formula One race, don't wait. Just just go do it. It's totally worth it. The atmosphere is unbelievable. The cars are insane. The speed is better up close than than on TV. And it's 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 something worthy for you to go check out. So I, I think everyone should at least try it once in their lifetime. Yeah, I mean, completely agree, Nadim. Pleasure having you on. Uh would love to have you on is as often as you did this is one of the reasons why Shyam and I created this podcast was to get you know not just our perspectives but other fans uh you know across the the US or the globe uh on the sport um there's a lot of newcomers in the sport there's a lot of new thoughts and angles and we'd love to hear and share that with as many people as possible and so yeah it was a pleasure like getting to meet you at the race um, but totally agree with your perspective. Like my, you know, my wife and I were going to go to Montreal last year and it was like a little rainy and we decided to not go. And then we talked about going to Miami as well. Didn't do that. And finally it was like, let's just, let's just go, let's just do it. So we got the tickets. Cheyenne, thank you for pushing me to do that. It was an amazing experience. And now I'm hooked and can't wait to go again. And uh, formula one's going to get 200,000 from me alone. 
So they should just let Andretti in. So uh, yeah. <laughs> been, it's, it's definitely been a pleasure. And like, you know, for any of you out there who to attend Formula One races as well, if we're ever there in person, come up to us, talk to us, engage in conversation. We'd love to share a Red Bull with you as well. Not a paid sponsor yet, but we will uh, definitely, we'd love to interact, get your perspective and uh, have some fun, share some Checo chance. And yeah, this has been a great, great episode. Uh, Nadim and Cheyenne, for all you out there, please give us a like, please give us a follow. Uh, our uh, social handles at Fan Team Radio. You can give us an email at fanteamradio at gmail.com. We'd just love to, to get any of your feedback and we look forward to uh, next week in Mexico. Until then, see you guys. Bye, everybody. Take care.